Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and today I am here with Bez, the eponymous Bez of Stuff by Bez. Hello. Joseph Z. Chen, designer and artist for Fantastic Factories. Hello. And Tony Miller, the bearded rogue on Twitter. Hello. Welcome all to the show, and this episode we are talking about our look forward for 2018, our plans... Uh, be they game design, game playing, or I guess life in general, because game designers are people too. Let's start off with, um, actually, Bez and Joseph have been on the show before, so if you've heard earlier episodes, their introduction is there. But Tony, you want to give a quick introduction about yourself since this is your first time on the show? Sure, why not? Um, uh, my name is Tony Miller. I am a game designer and a podcaster. I'm one-third of the Breaking Into Board Games podcast with Ian Zhang and Gil Hova. Uh, I recently, uh, in 2017, uh, signed my first two uh, designs to be published with other companies. And... Um, that's pretty much it. Cool. Uh, Bez, quick introduction for people that haven't listened to the earlier episodes. So I'm Bez, and my first game in a bind is, if I may say so, the best part of the game of Physical Constraints. And it was self-published in 2015, picked up by Jigamic in 2017. It's gone on to sell well. I've been working on my own things. I've released Wibble Plus Plus First Edition, which is a game system, and I'm working also on Kitty Cataclysm, which is my thing for 2018, as well as the second edition of Wibble Plus Plus. Awesome. I've actually been seeing uh, Yogi around on Twitter with people playing it, getting a lot of positive reviews. People really enjoy it. Yeah, that's almost yeah it's the best parts of making something and it's really amazing i mean really gratifying and going to essen last year and seeing these massive backlit posters it was like a dream come true on honestly I, I was yeah couldn't believe how confident they were and it was really gratifying to see. That's great. And Joseph, a quick introduction for you, for people that didn't listen before. Yeah, Joseph, I'm the designer and artist for Fantastic Factories. It's a project I've been working on for a couple of years and hoping to get to, well, should be getting to Kickstarter sometime this year. Awesome. So let's just go right into the topic. Um, anybody want to start with what your plans are for 2018? Sure. I guess I mentioned... Uh, trying to get the game to Kickstarter. Uh, I think aiming for this late spring, it's been a, a long time coming and a lot of, uh, it's been tricky working mostly just myself and my co-developer, Justin, getting a project off the ground. I think as most people know, publishing is uh, a lot of work. It's more than just the game design. Uh, especially since I do the art myself and trying to get marketing and all this other stuff lined up. Um, and, you know, getting prototype copies out to reviewers, building up uh, the buzz and getting the game into as many hands as possible. So hoping to launch Kickstarter late spring and um, really excited for that and also nervous and pretty stressed out also. So this is your first Kickstarter isn't it? Yes, yeah, yep. That's part of the reason why I'm very, uh, you know, a little nervous about it, but, you know, been doing all the reading, you know, in tune with kind of the community and what best practices are and trying to 
you know, follow all those as well. Yeah, there's a lot of great advice out there, and I'm sure you've been following Jamie Stegmeyer and reading up everything. Yeah, definitely. And uh, James Matthew, and there's a bunch of very helpful Facebook groups for uh, Kickstarter game designers, publishers, and and uh, of course Twitter as well. There's a very supportive community on Twitter of game designers and publishers. So that's great. Oh yeah, this community, uh, especially the indie community is really open about helping each other um there's not uh the same kind of fierce competition you see really in other industries it's much more about uh high tide raises all boats yeah definitely i remember when i first brought my game to a playtesting session and i i had this kind of like uh sense of dread where like okay you know i'm i'm the newcomer to this group i don't know any of these people i'm just gonna come and they're gonna i I'm expecting them to play my game, but I haven't really put in the time and effort to play other people's games because I'm just getting dipping my toes into the community. And I thought I had to kind of like prove myself, but I got there and everyone was friendly and, you know, played the game. And like people are very helpful, you know, and welcoming. And that's one thing that surprised me. And I think that that's my favorite part of designing a game is just connecting with other people. I think you're absolutely right about... Um trying to about it being such a fantastic community and i wanted to ask if folk had seen the recent twitter thing from bebo who basically said hey retweet this and let us know if anyone within the industry has ever helped you and of course there was such a massive outpouring from you know everyone saying hey this person was awesome to me and this person was awesome to me oh absolutely i actually uh, retweeted it to basically say that there was absolutely no way that i could name everybody um i've been a part of this community now for five years approximately um attending conventions designing games uh putting on a podcast, hanging out on Twitter, and if I had to try to name the number of people in the community who've actually helped me, whether it's uh, playing my game designs or giving me advice or just in general uh, listening to me and helping me through day-to-day life, uh, I would guaranteedly miss someone. Uh, if I tried to name everybody. Yeah, it's true. I've, I've seen a lot of those retweets and a lot of people like the list would be, just be too long and, you know, they just can't get through all the people that have helped them along the way. And I mean, that's true for most people, including myself. Yeah, pretty much all of board game Twitter is very helpful. So it's a long list. Every Follow Friday isn't even everyone. And there are quite a few people on the Follow Fridays. Um, I actually am a really big fan of the Follow Friday that comes across all the time. Um, There are some people who kind of filter them out as noise or see it as, oh, well, we're already all following everybody. Um, And... I don't put it out for all the people that already know me or that already are in the industry. I put them out for the brand new people who've started following me in, you know, the last week or whatever. People who are just starting to become part of the community. It's great to be able to say, hey, talk to these people because they're cool and they will help you. Um, It makes it much easier for people to get started in the community. And, you know, I've been trying something new because a lot of those Follow Friday lists can be a little intimidating, too, with, like, 10 different people and like who are all these different people so i've been trying to do this thing called follow friday feature where i just focus on just one person and like why i think people should be following them and kind of what they what 
they've done to help me and what kind of content they usually tweet about. So I think, I don't know, I like this idea of focusing on one particular person because sometimes those follow Friday lists can get pretty long and a little repetitive. Got to admit, I love that idea because I may be one of these people who, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Sometimes it can come across as a little, I wonder about, Maybe I'm being cynical, but I wonder about the sincerity behind it when there's like a long list of 15, 10 people or whatever. And especially when people do multiple lists and it might be 40 people in a single day. I mean, surely there must be some people that you can focus on or maybe there's even something that you could say, hey, these people are, are cool because of this. And... Yeah, especially now that they've doubled the length of the tweets, there's no reason you can't just say, hey, this person's cool because of X, Y, Z, or at least X. Yeah, I try to make all of my lists themed um, so that it's, uh, you know, these are all designers, or these are all artists, or these are all uh, amazing graphic designers. I try to stick with inside a theme each week, but um, I know in the past uh, I've deliberately focused on individual people in the industry, especially if something really big has happened that week with that person. So Yeah, it's nice to have some context to it. I mean, a list of people to follow is nice. But, I mean, depending on who's posting it, that can mean something different. Is it follow these people because they're interesting to tweet? Follow these people because they're good game designers? Follow these people because they're my friends? There's, there's a lot of reasons to say to follow people. Uh, so, Tony, what do you have coming up this year? I know you said you got two games signed. Are they both going to Kickstarter this year, do you know? Uh, one of them is definitely going to Kickstarter this year. Um, Weird Giraffe Games uh, picked up Fire in the Library uh, late last year, and we've been doing development since then. I say late last year, but it was Gen Con, so, you know, we've had an entire quarter now where we've just been doing nothing but heavy playtesting and development. Um, Carla and her husband Nick over at Weird Giraffe have been just hammering uh, my little design with lots of love and um it's been really great to see the changes and see all the rough edges get filed off as they do their thing and i've been fortunate enough to kind of have input the whole way uh since they're a smaller company they've allowed that um even if the final decisions are theirs they uh have been willing to have conversations with me about things and changes and stuff before they make it which is fantastic um it's going to be coming to Kickstarter in March. Um, it's the Kickstarter is expected to run uh, during Unpub, um, and I believe it's the game that they're going to have on the table uh, at Unpub. Uh, they're going to be doing the last-minute playtesting, um, hammering on some of the like expansion esque stretch goal content and stuff like that i will be at unpub as well i have my own separate table for some of my other designs but i'll be present and i'll probably be hanging out over there quite a bit as well um it's uh their third kickstarter as a company my first kickstarter that i've ever been involved with uh as one of the the stakeholders as it were and um i understand what joseph means about being nervous but at the same time i'm super excited um it harkens back a little bit to what bez said earlier uh, I've started seeing people like halfway across the world playing my game. I've started to see like photographs online of my game that aren't me 
or people who played the game with me, which has been uh, just unbelievable. And then add to that that uh, Beth Sobel is doing all the artwork, uh, and that's slowly being leaked over time, and um, I'm just over the moon with excitement about this game and where it's going. Um, so yeah, so that's the big thing for like the first uh, quarter half of the year is going to be focusing on Fire in the Library and that Kickstarter. Yeah, Fire in the Library is interesting because, I mean, to me personally, it's I think it's the first project because I followed you for so long and listened to your podcast, listening on Twitter. You've been talking about it in a lot of different places, but I also follow Carla. So when she picked it up, I've really kind of been following Fire in the Library for a, quite a while so it's interesting to see that progression from a prototype and idea that you're trying to pitch to a company picking it up and then bet's artwork so it's it's kind of the first project that i've seen this far along that wasn't my own yeah it's it's been really fun um i try to be as open as possible i like to show all of the stages of design i'm not um you know if i go to a playtest group they're all gonna see all the the boils and warts and uh issues that my baby has there um and i figure more eyes uh on it can't hurt um because the community is so friendly uh there's no incentive to try to keep everything squirreled away and hidden uh there's no secret sauce as it were um and it has made my life so much better to have people from the very beginning, like the very genesis of the idea. I've been writing a uh, designer diary that we're expecting to use like as part of the Kickstarter, one of the updates and stuff, and I found that I actually need to do two different designer diaries, one on the evolution of the mechanisms of the game, and one is kind of like the story of the game, like where it came from, the genesis of it, all of the different little moments uh, that now make it look like it was a series of wind sprints when really it's just been one long marathon from my perspective during it uh, but it's really interesting to just kind of see the story of a game as it evolves and different people put their hands on it and influence it in different ways and i guess even though it's your first kickstarter because Carla's doing it and she's pretty well she's done some pretty successful kickstarters Maybe that tempers your anxiety a wee bit and makes it more like an excitement. I mean, I'm just guessing. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Carla and Nick uh, really have been a dream to work with. Carla is so organized and so professional and so just awesome. Um, I can't say enough good things about her, her company, and working with her. Um I feel like I kind of hit the jackpot as to the first developer that I get to work with is such a positive uh, relationship and such a positive association. I've really been enjoying that. And she puts her heart and soul into, like, everything. Like, as a designer, there's that moment where you're handing it over and it's your baby. And... I have no fear that Carla isn't going to take care of my baby like she would one of her own. Like, there's no worry there at all. She's going to do everything in her power to make it a success, and I'm going to do everything I can to help her. So it, um, it's just been a super positive relationship. Um, and funny story, she actually wanted to pick it up much earlier than she did. Um, she played it uh, a couple of different times, but at Origins last year, 
uh, in the unpub room, uh, she was like kind of making overtures, but not just outright stating it. And I was too thick skulled to get what she was trying to say. So she just assumed that I wasn't interested, that I wanted some bigger company to pick it up or that I was like holding out for some reason. And it wasn't until later on when she just outright asked me like, you know, would it be okay if I did it that suddenly it penetrated the the thick skull that I have um, that I realized hey wait a minute I could be working on this game with Carla like she could be publishing it and um, that's just like a dream scenario for me so as things slowly are unveiled like every day she posts new artwork or new things that she's working on and I get to be excited about that too even though it's my game that's being worked on so yeah she's taken a huge load off of my mind from that perspective so you could say you're breaking into board games it does seem that way after three years uh, or going on three years of helping other people do it uh, it looks like I finally found uh, my own ingress not that I wasn't part of the industry before uh, just as a designer and a podcaster but moving from uh, the realm of having six prototypes sitting around that I'm actively working on to actively developing games with a publisher is a big step and has been really eye-opening and exciting for me because it's something new. Yeah, and it's great that you have such a great working relationship with Carla because that's kind of the dream as a designer, right? You you put all your heart and soul into a design and you hand it off to a publisher and you just hope you know they respect the original vision, the dream, and that you get to work alongside them they keep you in the loop and you know they have experience running kickstarter so it's congratulations it's kind of great stuff yeah you kind of hear the horror stories of uh publishers where you they sign the game and then they never talk to the designer again they just kind of walk off with it and then develop it and do whatever and at the last minute they say to the designer okay here's what we're doing and that's not the kind of interaction that I was really interested in. Um, and I'm glad that this is like, so the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what your motivations are, but I know a lot of designers, you know, it's not about the money. It's about that creative outlet and seeing your creation out there, you know, of, of people playing your game, but sometimes, you know, they change the theme, rip out all these mechanics. Sometimes it can feel like something that just is, was, isn't yours anymore, you know? And so I'm glad that you, you guys are working together on that. So Fire in the Library is coming along nicely. Um, and your other game, Back to Earth, I don't know very much about. Is that anything you can talk about yet, or is that still under wraps? Um, I can talk about the game. I can't uh, talk about exactly who I've signed with or any of that stuff yet. That's still under wraps. Um, part of the uh, agreement is that the publisher gets to make the press releases and all of that sort of thing, so I can't divulge even who it is. Um, but um, Back to Earth is a... Uh, hand-building game, for lack of better uh, commentary, hand-building programming game, wherein uh, it's the far future and humanity is kind of spread out to the stars, and we're uh, going from planet to planet and terraforming it and cleaning it up so that we can colonize it, and uh, we're starting to fill up a lot of rooms, so we've gone back to some of the oldest star charts we've had, and we've come across this planet called Earth, which the people who were here before really messed it up. Like, it's one of the worst 
case scenarios. So we have about a uh, we have about a year, twelve months to clean it up before settlers arrive. And our incentive is the companies who are here is of course the more that we clean, the more we get to claim as our own. So it's a race against time and the other players to uh, use your terraforming robots and the latest in green technologies to get everything up and running before the colonists get there. And um, it's uh, a larger game by far than Fire in the Library. Um, Fire in the Library is a smaller footprint pressure luck game. This one is, um, I'd say, a medium size game. Uh, it's not uh, anything like Arkwright or anything with like 57 million pieces. But it's a larger game, and um, it's exciting to have uh, both of those out there and to have uh, another company that I'm working with and seeing the difference in development styles has been really enjoyable too. Um, overall, I'm really enjoying both sides of things. Um, Carla's uh, side of things is very much labor of love driven and the other company is very, I don't want to say business oriented, but they've got well-worn pathways. They've got processes already in place for how they do things. And so it's seeing my game be part of their process is an interesting thing. I love the sort of twist that you are coming back to Earth in the uncertain future. And, you know, slightly depressing as it may be it's quite a nice sort of cynical yeah statement of hey hopefully we won't get to this point but this is the way we're heading i don't know is there a message or an agenda that you're trying to put there um it didn't initially start that way but as the game's been in development um and as i've been like just as i was designing it and as things were changing inside of it um it kind of became that way um there's a lot of uh, i don't know there's there's a lot of problems <laughs> right now in the world and i think everybody's aware of that um and I can't guarantee that humanity is equipped to solve all of them, but uh, humanity survives. It's kind of our thing. Like, we're very, very hardy, very adaptable, you know, very good at surviving. And so I wanted to imagine a world where maybe we get a chance to come back and clean up our mistakes. Um, you know, even if it is like a profit centric motive and even if it is, you know, the, the far flung future and it's more about claiming territory than it is cleaning it up. Um, just the idea that we're going to keep going and we're going to keep advancing and we're going to keep progressing, um, is something that, uh, means a lot to me personally. Um, both of my games uh, that have been signed are kind of driven from that kind of a perspective. Like, Fire in the Library is all about rescuing books from the Library of Alexandria um, as it's burning down around you. And um, that's one of those moments in history where I think about all of the things that we lost, like all the things that we knew before then that we had to relearn. But we're still around, we're still here. So it's kind of dealing with... Um, it's my way anyway personally of dealing with the um sometimes feelings of hopelessness or um the the issues that seem too big to solve in a way is to design games wherein the players get to kind of interact with that scenario was there any inspiration from wally for this because that's exactly where my mind goes when you describe it um 
Back to Earth has some Wally influences in it, absolutely. Um, robots cleaning up a planet is very much there, and um, you know, us kind of forgetting our home and who we are, and uh, venturing out into the stars um, is similar to there. I'm uh, I'm a parent fairly recently. My son is about to turn five, um, and most of my game designs have been created kind of in that time period, uh, in that span, and so there's a lot of thinking about the future that happens and a lot of, you know, what kind of world am I leaving for my son? Um, what kind of lessons do I want him to walk into the, into the future with? And, um, you know, things like the Pixar movies, WALL-E and things of that nature kind of resonate with me personally since children enjoy it at one level and adults enjoy it at another um it's just something that appeals to me and i felt would enhance the game overall and the name it used to be back to earth but earth was just spelt rth right yes yes that was me um both trying to be funny and being lazy um, so trying to be funny is the idea was it's so old and so far in the future that we've forgotten our home world. We don't even remember how to spell it. Um, but it doesn't translate very well in text. Uh, lots of people didn't understand the joke. And if people don't get the joke, then the joke's not a very good joke. Um, the other reason I said it was a little bit of laziness is that the original version of the game or the original idea behind the game before it really received its theme uh, was build the robots um, since that's one of the key things that you do you build your robots and then they are used to clean up areas which then become cards in your hand that you can use to power the rest of your structures um, so it's got a little bit of engine building to it and the robots are the fuel so building the robots uh, or build the robots as it was called was the initial name so everything that I wrote about it because build the robots is a long title was abbreviated BTR and I didn't want to change that so back to earth kept the R so me being lazy and trying to make a bad joke meant that it was time to change the name, and finally I did, and uh, it's been a really good decision. People get much more of an idea of what it is now just from hearing the name and the short pitch. I really enjoyed the joke once I got it, but I can see where that would be a marketing nightmare. Yeah, explaining jokes tends to make them not funny anymore. So, Bez, what do you have coming up this year? I know you have a Kickstarter fairly soon, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I... I got um, Wibble Plus Plus, the second edition, coming on the 30th of January, is the plan. And um, it's going to be fairly early on in the day, US time, 7am maybe. Um, basically, Wibble Plus Plus, I um, did a quick starter a couple of years ago and released it in August because every single thing I make... Um, I decided a couple of years ago I'm always going to release them on 1st of August. It's like a shtick. Wibble++ people enjoyed it, and I'm very proud of the various games that you can play with this deck. You've got a fast word game, which was originally inspired by Gilhova's Prolix, um, which has been recently remade as Wordsy, I believe. And um, yeah, so my game was kind of trying to take that and simplify it as far as it can go and take make it into a pure speed game. And then from this same deck, I got other ideas of things to make. 
I started with a storytelling activity. Then I had other ideas. I wasn't sure whether to make the game a game system or just the one game. And then someone at UK Games Expo 2015, yeah, showed me an idea that he'd had on the spot. And I was like, wow, this is brilliant. It was all about arranging things in an alphabetical manner and sort of card counting and trying to work out how many letters are you going to jump because what you can go from H to L, but once you've done that, you can't put I, J or K in the middle. So it's all about kind of that probability analysis of how many do you jump, what's a reasonable thing to do. And also, because it's now a turn-based game, you've got time to think about, oh, well, there's all, most of the eyes are already on the table, or hey, I'm because of the other people in this position, that affects what I should do. And so, yeah, seeing that he'd come up with something so easily, it motivated me to, yeah, get, make it as a game system. I've got um, those three, I've got um, Fable, which is a storytelling activity I mentioned that. Um, Phrasal is a sort of apples to apples judge style, but um, it's about inventing amusing little phrases. And Grabble, which is just about grabbing things really quickly, each card matching something from the card before. And it's ludicrously simple. It takes about three minutes to play, including explanation. And so I'm really proud of it. And the whole idea is that um, there's going to be a whole, there is a website that's built around it that's going to be continued to be built up. And more and more people will submit their ideas and there will be more and more games. And um, every year, what I'm going to do is there's going to be one new feature game, which I'll have um, focused on in terms of development and obviously gone through professional proofreading and everything. So last year's new feature game was Couple, and that was reviewed by Rado, who quite enjoyed it, which was lovely to see. And then, um, yeah, this year it's going to be Puzzle, um, but... Because Couple's the new feature game in the new second edition deck, basically it's exactly the same cards. It's the same basic 48 card deck, but it's just a wee bit fancier. So you've got linen finish cards, you've got a two-piece box instead of a tuck box, and some minor things like um, the borders are going to be slightly reddish instead of kind of dark grey. But um, And some minor tweaks, like I'm working to make it more friendly towards dyslexic people. So separating the distance between the S and the G, which was cited as the major problem, and then kind of changing the C and the G to be more dissimilar to each other, and wee things like that. And I'm hoping that, yeah, with this second edition, a lot of shopkeepers have told me that a talk box is just a far more difficult sell. So this way... It'll be literally shiny on the shelf with a bit of gold foil on it, and hopefully people will be like, yeah, that looks like a really good thing. There's six games in the box and many more to come. So what are the difficulties of designing not just a series of components, but multiple games to be played with that components? Game systems are something that have always intrigued me, um, but it's not anything I've ever even remotely tried to dip my hands in. What have you run into with that? Well, it's certainly, at the start, 
the game was just one game, of course. Like I say, it was Wibble. And then I think it's notable that, for example, the Looney Pyramids, which are probably, you know, definitely in the top 10, I would say, game systems of our time. Oh yeah, I love those things. They started off just as one game, I think Icehouse was the first one, and then, you know, more people came up with them, but these pyramids are just so supremely versatile, and there's not much sort of else you can do with them. I mean, it's almost like Tetris, where, you know, it's don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant piece of design, but I've heard people jokingly referred to refer to Tetris as saying it was discovered rather than invented by Alexei Pashitnov because um, the kind of stance being someone was going to do it and yeah, not to belittle, you know, the work of the Kirsten and Angus or Alexei Pashitnov, but because, you know, these are still brilliant pieces of work and it's only hindsight that shows us how simple they are. But I mean, the deck that I'm making, each card has multiple components. And I guess there was, you know, a few more ways that it could go. And I've been um, benefited by having a few different games and a few different designers give input before I sort of released it in the first instance. And um, it's just honestly back to the whole thing of you are, there's such a wonderful community. I mean, when I play tests, I play tests like about two and a half times a week, I would say. So often I'm in contact with, you know, such amazing published designers. And then when I had a game and they were saying, oh, how about this thing? Could that work? And they weren't just suggesting mechanisms for the same game, because these are generally quite simple things. They were suggesting wholesale games. And I think um, a lot of it, I don't know, um, it's difficult. I don't know, it's quite a broad question and I'm doing a terrible job of answering it. Sorry. Oh no, you're doing a wonderful job of answering it. Um, with a solid support structure and lots of effort is what I imagine the answer to be. And it seems like you're lucky enough to have that in place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that support structure is absolutely, you know, critical. And things like the featured game for this coming year, Puzzle, was actually one of the main games that... Um, it so this is a game that was designed and developed by me ostensibly, but of course, like all these things, it's in this case it was actually inspired by Alphabetical, which was the game that Andrew Dennison had made for the deck when he saw it in UK Games Expo 2015. And so this kind of puzzle game, which actually uses 20 possible subsets of the deck, so you've got six different um, borders and you can put three of them together for 20 permutations. And so, yeah, that was a big part of, a big input of how I designed the deck. And just seeing all the games ahead of time, I think, let me see, this is what 
could be done with it and this is what might be done with it and having David Brain who um, is a professional cruciverbalist he makes puzzles and crosswords and that is his passion and he was able to say hey having these two letters together might be a bad idea and by the same token he was able to say hey H might be a really common letter in the English alphabet but actually this should be slightly less frequent in your deck because it's actually harder to make words with it or hey this letter should maybe be one more there should be one more of these or one fewer of these and just advice like that and I feel like I've got even though the borders are going to be swapped around very slightly for the second edition based on feedback the letter pairs aren't going to change and I've always been very honest saying I love the way that David Serlin does the work in that if there's a way to improve it say 10 years in the future I'm going to say yeah I'm going to improve it I'm, I'd rather invalidate um, as some people might see it 10 years worth of decks and games and line it up for the best pop possible future because I honestly see this game as something I'm going to be working on until I retire. Fingers crossed it might have a lifespan beyond them. I think that's what we all hope for. Um, you bringing up Serlin, um, it's one of the things that I totally agree with his mindset, especially in the digital realm. Uh, by all means, every game can be tweaked and, and balanced and updated and fixed, and the graphic design can be looked at and everything can be done. I think he iterates a little bit too fast for my liking, um, but you know, every 10 years seems completely reasonable to me. Well, I mean, if I, my point is that if I had gotten an idea that, okay, these two letter pairs would definitely be better if they were tweaked. I mean, all the games will still be playable with the first edition deck, and I'll still be selling the first edition deck. And I say to people, you know, if you are happy with it, I'm not asking you to go and buy this second edition. It's going to cost about um, £5 more. Um, I'm not quite sure what my US prices are going to be. I've not got... But... Um, for the records, the original deck is RRP 12 GBP. It's 15 quid, I mean, $15 in the US is what I suggest. And the second edition is going to be 17 GBP. Um, I guess um, 20 or 22 or something. But um, it's just because it's in a nicer box and each game has. Each of the six featured games has its own rule sheets, whereas before they were on a wee card. And just giving them the space to breathe. And some of the games, I might, I was actually writing out the rules to Grabble, and I struggled to make the page, um, to make the game more than one page. So what I ended up doing was thinking, okay, I'll have one page for the game with this is including quite a few diagrams and then the other side will just be a history and you know thanks to everybody because you know it seems nice to have each game have its own sheet of paper even if you know some of them are a bit more complicated than others yeah hopefully it's a package that people will 
enjoy on Seeds of Valiolf. I'm definitely looking forward to it because I I was actually working on a game. It started as one of the wallet games I entered in a contest that had three letters on a card. And then once I saw Wibble Plus Plus, I'm like, God, that looks kind of similar. And I think it might be what I was trying to make, but actually working because I could never quite crack the word game. But um, you said you had another game coming out this year too? Oh yeah. Um, my second thing is actually going to be on Kickstarter fairly soon afterwards. Um, so talking sort of late, either the end of February, start of March kind of thing. It's called Kitty Cataclysm. It's a game of chaos, card play, dickery, um, take that, and cat puns. So um, you've got the cat ass trophy, which um, basically if anyone's got more than a certain amount of cards in their hands, bad things happen to them. So there's no hand limits in this game. You just play a card, do what it says. It's super simple. And so it's the only choice is which one of your cards do you play. And sometimes cards let you force everyone else to discard or force everyone else to pass around cards, in which case there's another wee choice. But it's fairly light, it's fairly casual. But then there is actually quite a bit of skill to it because it's all about managing your hand and managing your tableau and what cards do you get in front of you, what cards do you keep in your hand. And it's all about having the most meowny. And every card is generally positive there's a few negatives in there but so generally having the biggest hand is what you'd want except for the cataclysm and the catastrophe cards which punish you for having big hands and yeah you've got to watch out for people having them and kind of play around them a bit so there's a few different mind games going on in there as well and i just saw my um, first review a few days ago it's not publicly available but I got to see a preview of it and I asked for it to be um, you know, held on until the middle of February and it was really nice. Um, it was Board Game Exposure, it's a UK based service where you send them one copy of your games and then they send it round to everyone within the group which is great value if you are outside of UK, like if you are in America and then you're trying to get to UK people, it's a great way that you can gets it to the board game exposure people and they'll send it round and you'll get like five reviews for the price of one essentially. And for me it because you know prototypes um I mean like Joseph I do my own artwork but my prototype is still handcrafted so it's just um fifty four fifty five sorry um cards hand drawn because I still um don't really go for the whole print-on-demand stuff for some reason, because I'm mental, maybe. But, um, yeah, so it's great to see that someone will think, especially in private messages, hey, this is a really impressively well-designed game. It's um, quick, it's light, it takes between, you know, two to ten minutes, but we're really impressed by how much skill there is to play with it, and that's exactly what's us going for, so it's really nice to hear. And hopefully people will like it. I mean, you can't go wrong with cat buns. And I'm still impressed that you do it by hand. That just... I don't even hand draw initial prototypes to do one copy. I go right to the computer for my very first versions, usually. Because I 
don't want to have to bother drawing something a second time. So doing it by hand is impressive. Uh, sometimes it's therapeutic to kind of do something like early prototypes for my game. You know, I uh, had a corner puncher and I would punch all the corners for all my cards because it just made them look a little bit nicer. But after, you know, a few hundred cards, you get a little tired of it, but it's kind of a nice thing to do. Um, you know, you're watching TV, punch a few cards. Obviously, drawing cards out probably requires a bit more of your attention, but, you know, it's sometimes... Uh, let you get your mind off of the game design, refresh kind of like uh, your thoughts and and gives you something else to do for a bit. And even when you are drawing, you can still do that when you are maybe listening to a podcast or something, which I really enjoyed that moment of, you know, you're doing something and you're improving upon the drawings you do small refinements and you play about with things you, I don't know, little thoughts flicker up into your mind, but it doesn't take so much of your attention that you can't have some people talking into your ear. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes, you know, when you get stuck on one part of your project, it's nice having some other area of your project that you can move forward with. I think, I think that that sort of multitasking and having different plates spinning so that you can sort of follow your passion to some extent all the time is such a beautiful way to work. Agreed. Um, artwork to me is magic. I uh, appear to have been largely deficient in the production of uh, any kind of illustration or anything like that, but uh, I kind of practice the same thing by working on multiple games at once, so that if one becomes uh, difficult or unruly or I get stuck and don't know what direction to go in, I have something else to work on so I can continue designing um without it being, you know, the end of the world scenario where I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get through it or over the hump. Yeah, you know, funny story about me doing the art. So I'm not actually an artist by trade. Uh, and initially when I was doing the art for Fantastic Factories, I was like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm tired of looking at blank cards the whole time. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to whip up something. It's going to be a placeholder. It's going to be temporary. And, um, and you know, I did the first one. I was like, oh, this is not half bad. And, you know, my so my wife is a graphic designer. And I was talking to her. I was like, hey, you know, I'll do the game design. You can do the graphics and everything. And she's like, no, not interested. Because <laughs> I guess she, she does it for her day job. You know, she doesn't want to come home and kind of do more stuff. Um, so I ended up taking on a lot of those responsibilities and... I ended up designing a game that has over 35 different unique cards. And as you can imagine, especially for a first-time project, commissioning 35 different pieces of art can be tricky and expensive. So I actually started out not as an artist, but I picked some vector art that I believed was kind of within the realm of possibility and learning from other people, including my wife, about how to use Illustrator, you know, and each kind of piece of art got better and better at it. And it's gotten to the point where it's, you know, presentable and there's still room to grow, of course. And it's one of those things you're never quite sure, like, is it good enough? Like, I know it can be better, but at some point, you know, it's 
you have to decide when a project is done and when it's ready to be shown. And, you know, I've been working on it for a while and it's um, one of those tricky things where you have to, uh, I just want to, you know, in a way, see this project to completion and uh, be able to work on some other uh, games as well. So I know like Tony and Bez, you guys have uh, multiple game designs and I have a lot of ideas for game designs as well that I've actually put on, uh, on the back burner because I know that if I go to the next shiny design, you know, I might lose focus and not be able to finish out Fantastic Factories. So it'll be a, a great sigh of relief once that's out the door and I'll be able to explore other ideas or expansions. I know a lot of my co-developers have thrown out all these crazy ideas for the game, but it, you know, it's one of those things where you want to simplify, identify the core fun of your game and, uh, a lot of times that just means saying no to some of the crazy mechanics, but not to say that they come, can't come back in future expansions and things like that. So right now, just trying to maintain focus and also looking forward to exploring new designs later this year as well. When you talk about um, getting having your wife around, even though she's not um, you know, contributing, to the graphic design, presumably she's there giving you tips. Well, I'm guessing that's really helped you along the way. Yes, uh, definitely. She'll sometimes watch me doing some of the art and just like, why Why don't you do this thing? Like, clearly you could just use this tool. I'm like, oh, I never knew about that. Or just shortcuts, <laughs> workflow. Like, it's one of those things, like the first time I did the art, you know, it took me like, you know, like five hours for one piece. And now I've gotten it to the point where, you know, I could do it in an hour or two. And just learning all the shortcuts and things that, um, you know, aren't obvious at first. And she does it every day. So she she has her workflow, you know, really, really well done. And definitely just having her support, even though she hasn't actually done any of the art herself, she's definitely helped me out with a lot of the tips and tricks for sure. I think it's a really strong style you've got. And... Um... Yeah, when you talk about having to let go at some points and no one's ever sure if their finger is good enough, but, you know, you've got of the three other people here, everyone loves it, so clearly you're, you've done a great job. And, yeah, not having played it, I'm quite keen to hear a bit more about, you know, what it's all about when the Kickstarter comes up and, yeah, seeing all the... Reviews and everything. Yeah, um, I mean, I can tell talk a little bit about it right now. Tony had a chance to play it actually last weekend at OrcaCon, and it's a uh, it's a dice placement engine building game. So players are trying to race against other players to build the most efficient set of factories in order to manufacture as many goods as possible. And each turn you're going to be uh, drafting these blueprints for all these different factories or hiring contractors that will get, uh, give you additional resources or provide you with more workers. During the work phase, you'll be rolling your dice and placing the dice as workers on different actions and factories. And as you progress, you're building out more of these fantastic factories uh, that, have, that require certain kinds of workers. And there's also these training facilities that let you train your workers and modify their dice rolls. So there's kind of two uh, 
things going on. You're building out this cool engine where these different cards interact with each other in unique ways, and you're also trying to figure out how to place all your workers into the factories to optimize the amount of points and resources you're getting. So it's kind of got this satisfying like puzzle-solving uh, aspect to it. Yeah, it's... Um... I as uh, as Joseph said, I played it uh, this weekend, uh, this last weekend at OrcaCon, and um, it's a nice, clean little design. Um, there, like through the whole play, we didn't run into any rough edges, um, and uh, it flows really, really well. Um, I love dice placement games. I love engine building games, um, and this one is a good. Uh, solid medium weight one of those um, its art style uh, as we've already said is is really unique and I love it it's got some whimsy to it and at the same time clearly conveys what everything is um, and the um, the game itself just kind of pushes all of those happy engine buildy buttons um, all of us sitting at the table kind of pursued different strategies and uh, felt like everybody was in it right up until the end it was a really good support Surprise to see um, to see which one of us actually managed to pull it out in the final round. Um, you know there are dice in it, but uh, there's plenty of mitigation um, and and adjustment that you can do if you wish to. Uh, I didn't end up pursuing that strategy, and there were a couple of times the dice didn't roll my way. But um, building the factory chain that I did gave me uh, enough of an edge to uh, put together. A nice little engine that uh, ended up getting me uh, the victory in this case um, by one resource. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was really close. You won on the tiebreaker, so that's pretty pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those. Initially, when I first designed the game, I was trying to target a kind of a gateway level, and it's interesting how quickly a design can get away from you in terms of complexity and number of things going on, and. So, you know, six months in, maybe my design was, like, uh, pretty complicated and basically spent the next year or two refining it, simplifying it, carving away pieces down to its kind of, like, pure essence, you know, in a way. I know it's a lot of games these days, especially in Kickstarter, it's all about the bits and the pieces and the minis and having as many, like, chunks of cardboard as possible, but... For me, I like a certain amount of elegance, and it was one of my design goals to like have a game that scales well with players. Not one of those ones where you have to spend 10, 15 minutes setting it up, uh, and then someone else decides they want to join in, and you have to set it up again for a different player account, you know, things like that. Um, so I wanted something that was approachable, which was also something I was seeking with the art, you know, something that's uh, inviting and friendly looking. And hopefully the game kind of uh, plays that way as well in terms of the elegance and simplicity of it. So that's kind of what I was aiming for. Well, in my opinion, you hit your aims dead on. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it, and I'm definitely backing it when it hits Kickstarter. Thank you. I feel a little left out. I don't have any Kickstarters coming up this year that I know of. But uh, I'm focusing right now on Plutocracy still, which if you follow me on Twitter or read my blog, you have heard a lot about Plutocracy. And that's going into the Cardboard Edison Award, which is due really soon, and I have to make a video, and I should get on that at some point. But um, is anyone entering any contests, or are you just focusing on your Kickstarters for this year? Uh, you know, it's interesting. My 
even though my game is pretty close to Kickstarter, we've actually started talking about kind of what the schedule would be, and it might line up. I know the Carbert Edison, I think, game can't be going to Kickstarter uh, earlier than May, so I might try my hand at that as well because I think we may be launching um, in May or June. I, I have to check the timeline on that, but. You know, making a video also in a short time, it's the same boat as you. Yeah, I'm not um, a big competition person. I don't know why. Um, it's just not something I've tended to go for so much. I did do the UK Games Expo redesign competition once, and I didn't win it. But, you know, I made a game that a couple of publishers expressed interest in, so... I should probably do more of that, but um, honestly, it's just there's so much going on, and I find it difficult to sort of, yeah, I find that I'm coming up with enough things anyway to, yeah, be playtesting, and so I don't know, I kind of see competitions as a sort of motivation to get something started, and yeah, it seems a bit too much for me. Well, I guess the thing about, obviously it's not for everybody, the thing about competition for me, like uh, I last year I entered the uh, local design competition called the Northwest Lucy Award. Uh, and I think it's nice having, seeing judges kind of try your game and give you feedback. In a way, it's like validating your design. There's a lot of people when you go with them face to face and they play your game, you know, they're going to say nice things to your face. Uh, well, some people won't, but most people will. And in a judging competition, there's none of that expectation. You know, the judges are going to, that's their job. They're going to try to figure out what's wrong with your game and what could be better. So I think for a lot of people, it's validation. But at the same time, like preparing for a competition or preparing for a convention. Uh, it can really distract from like the game design. You know, you spend your time producing this video, or you know, uh, writing up the rules for a game that isn't a hundred percent there yet. And a lot of things can kind of slow down that your project. And I spend a lot of time going to various cons, and it really does uh, take up a lot of your time preparing, like uh, signage, cards, all these other things just marketing materials that have nothing to do with your game other than something to hand out, something to show. And I can definitely see why some people don't do designs because or sorry, competitions because it can take a lot of your time. I think that a game jam or a competition with real-life judging is a different thing. And even just the act of a game jam, like, I... Love that. When I used to make digital games, you know, on a hobby basis, I went to, I think it was called the Global Game Jam, and um, yeah, that's still running, and I attended a few, and it's not about the competition as such, even though there were prizes where I was going, it was just about having gone along and taken part, but also gotten to interact in real life with all the other people, and I think that if there was a global game jam for board games, I would totally be all over that if it were something where, you know, 
that was being dealt with in the same way, come over and you know, come to our university and we're hosting people coming and I think that's such a fantastic thing, but it's the online aspect that maybe doesn't quite work for me personally, but I don't want to take it away for from anyone that it does work for. Like maybe it works for the listener and you know clearly it works for a couple of you guys and I think that's fantastic. And you know, everyone works different things for work for everyone. Yeah, I really enjoy the uh the deadline that competitions add, but I know last year I actually had to stop doing competitions because I was doing too many and getting really stressed out and doing 80% of a game entering a competition and then abandoning it to do 80% of another game for the next competition. So I really had to step back because it can be a lot with all the deadlines. And like Joseph said, you have to write up rules and make videos for stuff that isn't done yet. So it can be a lot of distraction from actually finishing a game. But they do they do give some incentive to get stuff done. Yeah, um... One of the things that's been good for me, and I don't know if I'm going to enter yet, which is a horrible thing to say when there are like 13 days left before the deadline, um, <laughs> but I entered last year and got some really valuable feedback out of it um, for specifically Back to Earth. Um, this year, um, I'm looking at entering, but as you said, there's all that extra effort that goes into getting things ready. So one of the advantages that I had in this case is I have several games that are already pitch-ready games that aren't signed, and so I was looking at taking one of the games that hasn't hit yet with anybody um, and looking at submitting it to the contest to see if, um, you know, just to see what happens, uh, mostly. Um... My biggest problem uh, in entering contests like that is uh, I am not uh, I don't edit video historically. Um, I do put up video content. I have a YouTube channel, but it's all me and a camera live uncensored unedited uh, and that's just because like you said the time commitment to editing a video is something that I can't commit to if I actually want to work on design and it's kind of the same way for me with art um, the amount of time that I could spend learning how to do art for me personally is better spent just working on the games themselves so contest can be a distraction but I think there is some value to seeing what you can see out of a contest um, and to Bez's point, game jams are awesome. Um, absolutely amazing, and I'm glad that I'm starting to see more of them at uh, conventions just cropping up. Shucks had one that was really good. Uh, there was one at OrcaCon, um, sort of, uh, where there was a panel that was designing a game based on audience feedback. Um, I just love those kinds of activities and hope to see more of them around. So we are running a bit long, but I wanted to get a couple more things in before we finish this up. Um, conventions that people are going to this coming year. Um, I'm going to Unpub. Tony, I know you're going to Unpub. Um, any other things people are going to this year? So many. Um, yeah, I'm going to about 14, something like that. Um, but they are basically all in the UK except for Essen. So I won't... Actually, so... to. Technically today, because right now it's 2 a.m., well, 2.22, um, and I'm going to my first ever convention, not as a 
volunteer, not as a helper, not as someone running it, not as a trader, but just to go for my first ever convention, just enjoying it, uh, which is Bastion in North Wales. And I'm going to the end, I'm really looking forward to it. So that should be good. And then I'm going to be at City of Games. I'm just going to reel off a bunch of names. City of Games, um, a new convention, which is done by Frank West. Um, London Anime Gaming Convention, Ericon, which is a staple in Harrogate. It's a, done by a lovely fellow, um, Mark Cook, and it's all about the events rather than, you know, the traders. Then International Tabletop Day, I'm going to Wales. Compulsion's a great one in, run by students in Edinburgh. There's a new one, Darius Uncon in Kent. Um, UK Games Expo is the big one, 1st of June. I think they claim that they're the third biggest, or fourth or fifth, in the top ten in the world anyway. I mean, they're basically getting onto the international scene now. And so, yeah, like, Gilhova's been there a few times now, and Oink Games might be coming this year, which is quite exciting, because, yeah, they don't go to many places. Um, they're all be a Tabletop Scotland and Dragon Days, which are relatively small things, and then Essen, of course, Dragon Meet in London, and probably a few more that pop up along the way. Sounds like a busy year, but a lot of fun. Tony, what's your list? So I'm definitely going to Unpub. Um, I'm going to be kind of dividing my attention there between my own stuff and uh, Fire in the Library. Uh, and then... Uh, after that, my next one, my next major convention is Origins, um, which I can't imagine missing in Origins at this point, even though I've now moved to the West Coast, far, far away from Columbus, Ohio. Um, it's uh, probably my favorite convention, especially now that the Unpub room is present. Uh, it's gained what it was missing for me, which was a large playtesting prototyping scene. Um, I'm probably not going to go to Gen Con this year unless somebody twists my arm. Um, Gen Con isn't what I'm typically looking for in a convention. Uh, you get to talk to everybody for about five minutes, and most people are there trying to make sure that the bottom line uh, is met. Um, so there's just not a lot of time for anything. Um, so I'm probably going to skip it this year. I hope to be at BGG Con this year, uh, again, for the third year in a row. This will be the last year that it's in the, the current venue before they move downtown, so I kind of want to be there for that. Um, there will be several smaller local cons. I'm looking forward to checking out more of the West Coast con scene now that I am uh, out here rather than uh, in the Midwest, East Coast area. Um, so I'm looking forward to checking out what uh, Portland and Seattle and even uh, California, Arizona, Nevada, some of those places have to offer. I know that there's a whole new, uh, whole new bunch of conventions for me to explore now, and I'm looking forward to doing so. Yeah, what is it? Um, Protospiel San Jose, that's a pretty big one out there, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Um, and uh, they have um, a couple of others. Uh, out there as well and then Seattle and somewhat Portland but mostly Seattle has uh, playtest uh, Northwest events um, for game designers and then uh, there's game storm stuff down here in Portland there's it's a whole new world out here it's it's conventions and groups of people that I didn't have access to living where I used to and now 
I get to meet a whole bunch of additional people. And Joseph, you going to any conventions this year? Well, last year I went to quite a few, and I think this year I'm going to have to cool it off a bit. I went to PAX South and Unplugged last year. And, uh, you know, flying in hotels is pretty expensive. Um, So this year I'm trying to hit up as many local cons as possible, some of the smaller ones in the area. Like uh, Terminal City Con up in Vancouver, BC. I'll be at GameStorm. And then some uh, ones in Seattle, like Evergreen Tabletop Expo, uh, Dragonflight, and PAX West. And uh, I didn't get a chance to go to Shucks last year, but I'm excited to see how it is this year. Uh, which is, I think is also in, well, we'll see if they keep it in Vancouver or they, they move it somewhere else. So that's my schedule for this year. So I'm going to a couple local ones coming up. Uh, TotalCon, which is in Massachusetts. I, I think it's the biggest tabletop convention in Massachusetts at this point. But it's um, it's like 50% role-playing games and then 50% board games and miniatures. So um, it's really convenient for me, like 45 minutes away. So it's really, it's hard not to go. Then... Um, Got Granite Games Summit in March in New Hampshire, which is a great one, and with 24-hour gaming. And uh, they do some um, designer designer alley stuff. And then Unpub later in March, which it'll be my first Unpub, so I'm really excited for that. I've heard lots of good things and uh, looking forward to all of the playtesting. Um, I don't really get to any of the national conventions at all. I'd love to go to Origins someday, but it's kind of a lot of money and a lot of travel. I'm probably going to go to Metatopia again in November in New Jersey. I went last year, and that was a great experience. So would like to fit that in. And PAX Unplugged is close enough for me to drive to, so I would like to get to that. But November is kind of a tough month for me. And um, PAX East, which is in Boston and mostly video game centered, but they're getting a bigger tabletop area. They, um, I might be going to that if button shy is going to help them out, but that's very up the air. And I don't know if I will get in based on not having a ticket yet. That is all my conventions. So let's wrap this up. Cause I think we're probably over an hour. Um, everyone want to just give a quick, uh, how to contact you and any dates for, kickstarters if you have dates set yet let's start with bez okay um i'm bez um so on twitter i'm stuff by bez you can contact me via email at stuffbybez at gmail.com on instagram i'm stuff by bez my website is stuffbybez.com and my facebook is facebook.com slash things by bez because facebook doesn't let you have the f and b next to each other in your name so i wasn't allowed to put stuff by bez on facebook so instead i'm things by bez but if you search for stuff by bez you'll still find me so yeah that's me and oh yeah kickstarters um 30th of january for wibble plus plus second edition and kitty cataclysm will be coming in either yeah let's say very late february awesome 
Uh, Tony. All right. The best way to reach me is definitely on Twitter. I'm at Bearded Rogue. Um, the Kickstarter for Fire in the Library should be uh, running in March. I don't have an exact date yet, but looking at early March uh, for the start of that. Uh, pay more attention to Weird Giraffes Games if you're interested. Um, that's uh, Carla's company, the one who's publishing it. Um, other than that, uh, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Um, I'm pretty uh, pretty easy to get a hold of and like uh, interacting with and helping people. Also, if you're not tired of my voice by now, feel free to check out the Breaking Into Board Games podcast with myself, Ian Zhang, and Gil Hova. Um, every other week, we interview somebody from the board games industry, uh, designers, artists, developers, publishers, um, graphic designers, distributors, anybody we can find who's willing to sit down and talk to us. Uh, about how they got into the industry and any advice they have for anybody who'd like to follow in their footsteps. And Joseph. Oh, very cool. I'm actually a big fan of that podcast. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Fan Factories. Uh, also on Facebook, Fantastic Factories. And I actually just created Instagram the other day. So Fantastic Factories and a website as well, www.fantasticfactories.com. And the Kickstarter uh, will be sometime, I think, in April, May, or June. Uh, if you asked me a week later, I'd probably have a date. But uh, we're, that's something we're trying to figure out in terms of the timeline this week. So... Look for it in late spring. Cool. And I am BlueQBGS on Twitter. You can check out my blog at BlueQBoardGames.com, which I consistently post every Friday, and I've not missed one yet, despite sometimes not knowing what to write about. And you can find the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop, and you can email questions at theboardgameworkshop.com to ask a question for the show, which we will actually be answering soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.